Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Well, good morning, Bridge Church. How are we doing? It's good to have you here. If you've never uh, been here before, uh, welcome to the family. My name is Derek. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad Bethany got the reality out of the way. Some of you are wearing the wrong color indeed, uh, but if you are wearing green, you are incorrect. If you have uh, my color, if you have purple on the back, you are in good company. Now, here's what I will say. We believe that Jesus loves all people, even Packers fans. Now, He has to love you a little more because you're just a little extra annoying. I'm just kidding. Do not take that personally. I'm just kidding. Here's what I will say honestly, though. If you are a Vikings fan, I would dare say we're more loyal because we know how to to cheer when we perpetually lose. You have a reason to cheer for your team. They can win. We can't. All right? So give us something. Give us the credit. Okay, at least, yes, we know you got the rings. You're good. We've never been there. Yada, yada, yada. We know. We're well aware, but we cheer anyway. Okay, so you don't have to rub it in anymore. Okay, we're just going to leave that there. But hey, we are excited for church today. We are at the movies. If you've never been here, you've never been through us with at the movies. Uh, I love movies. I'm a movie buff. And so I'm going to preach Jesus and show you some of my favorite movies. And it's going to be awesome. But today is a special day. Uh, and if, you're, if, if you are, have not been aware... We have been in a search because uh, I was the youth pastor here, and they've kicked me out. I was too rambunctious. I was too crazy, and none of that's true, but we need a youth pastor nonetheless. So here's what I need from all of our amazing people in here. If you're online, would you just give a massive round of applause? I want to introduce you to our new youth pastor, Riley Lokanen. <laughs> Riley. This is awkward. We should have hugged before we... Like, there we go. There we go. Uh, as you'll notice, Riley is taller than I am, uh, more handsome, and better smelling, probably. That hug wasn't bad anyway. So uh, here's what I'll say. Uh, we're going to pray you in here in just a second, but um, I know who you are. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about who Riley is? And we have some pictures on the screen as well that uh, kind of encapsulate who you are. Yeah. Like there's some, my name is Riley. Um, I am the new youth pastor. I'm super excited, super honored to be a part of the British Church. Um, just a little bit about who I am. I grew up in Little Falls, Minnesota. Uh, so it's a small town, very similar to St. Francis. I'm excited to be back. I grew up in a pastor's house by then. Ministry is kind of who I am. It's super exciting. All of this was that. After. Rambunctious. Sorry, sorry, Royals in here. We have some Bethel fans in here, so just be careful. But yeah, much more central. Explain that. So I'm a big disciple. Love this song. So some friends I grew up with, we put on tournament called the LFO. 
Hey, it's all good. It, I will say, you don't wear it. We have trusted this was XXL. That was a hula hoop around you, correct? I like it. I like it. He is a champion. Hey, we're so excited. You'll get to hear all, all about Riley, and, and he'll be around for a while. Uh, we're just excited. If you're unsure of why we're doing this, the reality is that, that youth and kids are really our priority around here. And uh, if you're an adult in here, you're our priority too. I'm not saying that. But youth are so important to our community. We really believe that they need the best. And so, uh, you know, with me being, I was kind of more of a full-time youth pastor. As I stepped into this role, I realized uh, I, was, I was not giving them my fullest. And so we want the best. We want the fullest for our youth. And so that's why we went out and found Riley. Uh, we didn't just go after who was available. We went after who was right. And so, you know, we're excited for what Riley's going to bring to the table. We're going to have lots of fun, lots of shenanigans, as you can tell. Uh, he's passionate about 30 for Freedom. It's going to be so, so fun. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to kind of give him a charge. Uh, we're going to pray him in officially to make this uh, spiritually official. Uh, so here's what this is going to look like. I'm going to kind of give him a charge. It's going to sound like a wedding a little bit. It's not not supposed to be weird, uh, but we're kind of just give him a charge, and then I'm going to charge us as a church, and then we're going to pray for him. All right, so Riley, are you ready to make this official, my friend? Yes, sir. Do you promise, Riley, to serve this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? Do you pledge before God and this family to live before them as an example of God's love, mercy, and compassion? Do. And church... We pledge to support Pastor Riley with our prayers, our presence, and our gifts, and our service. We will work hand-in-hand to lead this church by example and by action, and we commit to seek what is best and true to everyone in our church. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite my lovely, fantastic wife up here who's wearing another great jersey, all right? Patty Mahomes. Do I have any Patty Mahomes fans in here? Funny, funny story, uh, my mom loves Tom Brady, like an obsession with Tom Brady, and so she hates Patrick Mahomes, and so naturally I have a Patrick Mahomes shirt. So if you do me a huge favor, church, if you would just feel comfortable extending a hand out, it's just a way of kind of us praying with Riley. We're going to lay hands on Riley and just pray for him, but we are excited for what God has in store. So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I am thankful that you have called Riley here for a purpose and for a reason. I just pray, God, that as he ministers, as he serves the youth of our community, would you just help bind this relationship and do something special in and through him and the Bridge Youth Ministry. God, we love you. We're excited for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give it up for him one more time. No, sir. I ain't got nothing to say. But they do.
Hall. It's the right thing to do, sir. Son, we do not have a team. We do not have a staff. We don't even have a damn athletic director. May he rest in peace. Frankly, son, I... I wouldn't know where to begin. But you can start with a coach, sir. Should have warned you about the swear word. Sorry. I think we can take it in here, though. I don't think there's any more. I apologize. But hey, we are at the movies, and we are excited for um, uh, the, this series. As Like I said, we get to preach alongside some of my favorite movies. And as a sports guy, sports movies are like my jam. I just love kind of the, the underdog story, rallying everybody together. It's super fun, super awesome. And if you've never seen this movie called We Are Marshall, it might have been a little unclear that that was the name of the movie as they were all chanting it. Uh, but this movie is called We Are are Marshall. It's actually like all good sports movies based on a true story. And so if you're not familiar with the movie, this movie is all about this plane in 1970 from Marshall University was flying back home from an away game. They were all on the plane and there was some mechanical failure about 10 miles from the runway. And so the plane goes down, killing all of the athletes, all the coaching staff, some of the boosters. It wiped out everybody. And like I said, the true story. And so you can see here in this particular clip that there is uh, these people who are, all the players are kind of lobbying because the boosters and the board members and all the people over charge of the university and the sports program are saying, you know what, we're canceling the season. You know what, we can't do this. This is devastating, devastating to our community. And so they're saying we're shutting it down. Now, there were a few surviving players, those who were injured and couldn't make the trip, so they were back on campus, and so they're saying, no, 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 like the way to heal this community, the way to bring Marshall back together, the way to get us all back together is to have a team and to live on and to, and to keep carrying on. And so in this movie, a lesson that I've learned from this scene in my 27 years of life on this planet is that everybody responds differently. You can have the same event, the same thing happening, but if you have a room of 10 people, all 10 people will probably see the thing differently. You see, in this particular clip, in this movie, you can see the chairman, the guy who's sitting next to the window, the guy who is saying, we don't have anything. He's moved. You can tell he's like, wow, the whole student body is behind this. Like, they're lobbying for it. Maybe we need to reconsider this, but you can see him wrestling with the, this, like the logistics, how is this all going to happen? Yet you also see the guy who stormed off with the jet black hair and the intense eyes. That was the dad of the starting quarterback that died. And so he's going, it's disrespectful to move on. We can't move on. This is the worst possible move. And I love this particular clip because you can see every single person sees it differently. The lives that we live on this planet, we can see the same situation from 10 different views and we'll all see it just a little bit different it's interesting to me and not just like with with big things like i think a lot of times we jump to like oh yeah like politics or like belief systems or theories i'm like i'm not even talking about that i'm just talking about like what sticks out to you now for example 
few weeks ago, I have a little rug rat named Ellis. You've heard all about him if you've been to the Bridge Church. You've undoubtedly seen him. He runs around circles. He's got flames coming out of the back of his shoes. The kid doesn't stop. I don't know where he gets it from. But we took him to the game fair. And if you don't know what the game fair is, it's basically the state fair for sportsmen. There's dogs, there's camouflage, there's duck calls and goose calls all over the place. It is like a hunter's paradise. And so I'm like, you know what? We're going to take Ellis to the game fair. He loves dogs. He loves hunting with Trampa because he can't pronounce his G's. So grandpa is Trampa. And so he he was all excited to go to the game fair. It was going to be super, super fun. So we go, we do the whole thing. We get him a Sprite. We get him ice cream. We show him the dogs. We, We show him all the different hunting stuff. And so at the very end of the day, I'm feeling like the dad of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is awesome. He's going to love this. And I say, Ellis, what was your favorite part about the game fair? His response, the puddle. The puddle? Yeah, like when I jumped in the puddle with grandpa, there was one little puddle in front of one little stand that he loved to just go and you know, jump into like three or four times. And so I was like, that was your favorite part. What about the dogs? The puddle! We spent like 50 bucks to get into this thing and have ice cream and the whole thing. And his favorite part? The puddle. Woo! You know what I'm talking about, parents. Like when you drop 150 bucks on that brand new toy, and what's their favorite part? The box it comes in. They see things differently, right? Like we've all been through this scenario where we're like, we see one thing differently right? It's one of those things. And I think there's no better way to capitulate it, to really just kind of exemplify this in the way that we see Jesus. Everybody sees Jesus differently in some really good ways and in some different, not so good ways. And this is not just a 2022 thing. This is just life in general. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, we, this, this kind of comes into focus really, really clear. Because in Matthew chapter 16, he's with his 12 disciples, and they've been together for a long time. They've spent time together, they've ate together, they've done ministry together, they've kind of done life together for a long, long time. And there's been so much time together that Jesus finally asked them this question in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this was a very intentional question. Just like when you ask your kids when you're at work to uh, do the dishes or to set the meat in the, in the sink to thaw out and you get home and they're not done. And then you ask the question of, hey, who was supposed to do this? Students in the room, if your parents ask you that, they know the answer. They're trying to get you to fess up to it saying, haha, yeah, you done messed up. Because you were supposed to do that. And Jesus is asking this identical question of who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? See, Jesus wanted to know the answer to the first question because it really set up the next question. Who do others say that I am? But hey, uh, in light of that, who do you say that I am, disciples? Like, how do you view me? And I think what's so interesting about this is Jesus was smart. 
this was a very intentional time in which he asked this because, again, they had spent a lot of time together, a lot of time. But the location is also very interesting. They are in Caesarea Philippi. And if you're not familiar with Caesarea Philippi, you're normal because uh, you probably aren't familiar with Caesarea Philippi. But at this time, over in Israel, around Caesarea Philippi, this was like the epicenter of idol worshipers. What I mean by that is let me just kind of give you a little bit of modern day context. If you go down to southern Indiana, if you go right to the Bible Belt and go to Main Street on a Sunday morning, no one's going to be there. But let's say Sunday afternoon and you ask, hey, what do you believe in? Like, like, like who, who is your God? Most people will say Jesus because you're in the Bible Belt. You're, you're right there. Now, if we were to go to downtown Las Vegas, you might get a whole bunch of different answers, right? It's just a different context of people. Caesarea Philippi, in a lot of ways, was like Las Vegas. You have a lot of different belief systems clashing together. And some of the biggest ones were this God named Baal, Pan, and the Godhead of Caesar. Now, if you're like, this is a lot of information, I'm going to break it down right here because Jesus is asking this with a purpose. Like, who do people say that I am? Because I know I'm God. I know that I am the Son of God. So who do people say that I am in lieu of where we are right now? And what's interesting here is their response. Elijah is the first one that they say. You're just like Elijah. Elijah was a miracle worker. Elijah had so many miracles in his life where God just came and did something through Elijah. So a lot of people thought Jesus was just like Elijah. He was just here to do miracles. They said, oh, or maybe he's not like Elijah. Maybe he's like uh, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet, which means that he would hear from God and then share the message with the people. He was basically a messenger of God. Then the last thing they say is he's like John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was basically like uh, a symbol of repentance, which basically means like John just came to say, hey, uh, if there's stuff going on in your life, let's wash it clean so that you're good to go. And so when they say all of these things, they're all looking at Jesus through different lens. But what Jesus is trying to get them to say is, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. See, now the Messiah or the Christ was the savior of the world. He was here to take the sins away. But he goes, you are the Messiah, comma, the son of the living God. As in that comma is like kind of and. You are the Messiah and the son of the living God. You're here to take away our sins, but you are also God himself, which means that you are going to see him as the living God who cares about you holistically, not the God who's just here to kind of keep you out of hell. See the difference? He's there to take your sin away, and he's there to be close to you. And I think where it's so interesting is the reason he asked that question is because how you see Jesus is how you'll interact with him. If you see him as Elijah, if you see him as a miracle worker, you're only going to go to him when you need a miracle. If you're looking at Jesus like Jeremiah, you don't have a relationship with him. You just listen to what he's saying because he's a messenger of God. If you see him as just a repentant and just a a bath, that's all you're going to go to him for. But God is saying, I want to be the Messiah, the son of the living God to you. 
So I think what's so interesting in this room, if I were to ask that same question, is who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Am I just the rescuer when you're in trouble? Am I the fallback for when stuff gets messy? Am I just an icon behind church, which is not a good icon because church can get messy and church people can hurt other people and you're going, I'm done with all of that. Who do you say that I am? See, it's not bad to seek after God for help and for all these things. In fact, I highly encourage you to do that. But the question I think God wants to ask us is, am I I a means to an end? Or am I the Lord of your life? Because I firmly believe Jesus is my Savior, but something God's been working on me is, am I your Lord? And you're like, what in the world is the difference? Is that just semantics? No. When he's the Lord of your life, you're willing to submit to him. You're willing to say, whatever comes, whatever happens, I trust him. In you, And whereas when he is the Lord of your life, you choose to follow Jesus even when it's not easy and even when it's not conventional. Dramatic pause. Amen. Power out. You know I'm a fan of it. That's why I brought it. What I've learned in the last few weeks is that it is not work. But right now the power eye goes in the trash. Along with every flea flicker, double reverse, and every other trick play, you may have in your playbook to get rid of them. And it is time to simplify the ball. So, put our heads together here. What is the simplest ball? If you have ever run, it's actually one of the worst. Any idea is a good idea. No right and wrong in here today, man. Let's talk about it. Well, there's always the fear. That's interesting. Well, here's a, an option offense. Spread things out. Take the focus off any one man. It's actually designed for teams that don't have a very strong offensive line. Now that is us in a nutshell. Well, who runs it? Who's the talk to? Billy Oman came up with it a few years ago. Other than West Virginia, no one really runs it on the Pac-12. West Virginia runs the Vegas. We're rotten. We think they're just going to invite us out to lunch and hand over the play. I know some kids that run. Pick them up on the way. Morgantown. Field. I like Eight-time Southern Conference champion. Jack, I got to tell you, I really don't think we're any better. Chris. See you again. And this must be Coach Jack Langle. Jack, Bobby Bowser. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure. Bobby, thank you for taking time with me today. My pleasure, not a problem. Yes, sir. So, I can't wait to hear. What can I do for you boys? Well, the thing is, Coach, uh, we're thinking about adopting Mr. B. And I understand that to be your bread and butter, as Come down here and maybe you can give us a few pointers. Pointers, tips, advice, anything that you'd be willing to show us. Well, we'd really appreciate it. 
First class a bit, don't they? First class, coach. First class. You guys take all the time you need. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is literally defined as a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Billy Bowden, the coach from West Virginia, had compassion towards his rivals. They were literally, it's funny, as we're talking about kickoff today, and there's this whole banter between, you know, Vikings and Packers. That was Marshall and West Virginia. They were always clashing. They were always going against each other. So I want you just to realize they're literally going to West Virginia to grab their playbook. Like, they are going there and saying, hey, uh, all the stuff you used to kick, the snot out of us. Uh, can we have that? Like, it's so backwards. Why he was laughing there, but he was compassionate, or to go along with the definition here, it was a sympathy. It was an understanding of going, what you guys are walking through is too deep for us to really comprehend. It's so deep that we are going to be sympathetic towards you because we have pity on what you're going through. We're understanding that you guys are going through a bunch of different stuff. This was a sacrificial act motivated by compassion. And I think so often we see this word pity and we attach a negative connotation to it. Like pity is a weakness or a cheapened sentiment. But the reality is that in its truest sense, they weren't seeing pity upon Marshall. They weren't saying, oh, poor Marshall. They were saying, we have an understanding 
that you are going through one of the toughest things your community, your town, your players, your staff, your coaches have ever walked through. And so we're going to set our rivalry aside. I love that line that the colors clash, don't they? He was talking about the fact that literally the colors clash, but even though they're ugly next to each other, it's beautiful because they're saying, even through rivalry, this is bigger than football. The verbiage that the Bible describes, Jesus saw them and had compassion. That word, he had compassion, that phrase is used all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the first four books of the New Testament. Because Jesus had compassion on his people. We see, as we just saw in Matthew chapter 9, they were like sheep without a shepherd. Which he was basically saying, they just didn't have any guidance in their life. And I had compassion on them. We see in Matthew chapter 14, there was a bunch of people who were sick and needed healing. And said, Jesus had compassion on them. There was a, a time when Jesus was preaching for like three hours. And it's probably a good thing I don't preach that long. But he was preaching for three hours hours. And so finally they're going, we're hungry and they needed food. They were out in the middle of this countryside, in the middle of this desert, and they needed food. And so Jesus had, quote, compassion on them. And then perhaps my favorite in Luke chapter seven, Jesus is walking through the gates and there's this mother walking past him who is grieving and is beside herself because she just lost her son. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them. He turned what he was doing. He turned around to be there for that grieving mother. All throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is known to have compassion on people. It didn't matter if he was tired. It didn't matter if he had other things going on. He saw the needs of his people and responded. And the same is true of us. I think so many times the reason we see Jesus differently, the reason that we can be resistant to who Jesus is, is because a lot of times Jesus is symbolized by the church. And here's the difference between that and reality, is the church is comprised of a bunch of people. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot of imperfection in in human beings. Okay, like it's one of those things we can try and we're great people, but at the end of the day, we do make mistakes. At least I do. And so the church in their best intention sometimes can really hurt people. And in the process, Jesus kind of gets a bad rap. But the reality is, is who at his core, Jesus is a God who has compassion on you. He has pity on what you're going through. He sees you and understands what it is that you're feeling. He understands the loss that you're grappling with. He understands the stress of trying to figure out how you're going to get through this tough season. He understands and has compassion on you when you're up at night worrying about what's going to happen in the future, what our life is going to look like, how we're going to get through this. He has compassion. And the thing I love about Jesus is that the, through all of this, it's not like he just goes, oh, poor them, that stinks. He sees that compassion and meets the people where he's at. He goes through the stuff, just drops what he's doing and is there for his people. And he wants us to experience that same exact feeling. Because when we experience that compassion that Jesus has for you and for me, it changes how we see him entirely. Take us home, Red. Come on in. 
Gotta go home and watch it. We're good there, guys. Thank you. You're gonna have to go home and watch that movie because there's, as you saw, and my favorite part about this entire clip is the flashbacks. Like how much went into that final play, right? It's not just the the idea of just planning the play. What they had to walk through to get to that moment was immense. They had to go through the hard part of dealing with their grief. They had to go through getting the, the clearance from the NCAA. They had to go through all of this different stuff to get to that moment. Everything was leading up to that. And I think what happens in our life, everybody, is that there's so much in our life that can keep us from this relationship with Jesus. There's so much stuff that happens that goes, you know what? I'm setting him aside. I can't do this. But the reality is that Jesus wants to be a part of your life. God's not the God who's saying, hey, you need to be this good enough to come here. He's the God who says, I'm going to drop everything I'm doing to go to you. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of your sin. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're a vile person. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. He has compassion on you, and he wants you. And so no matter what comes your way, no matter if you've walked away from him before, it doesn't matter because he still has compassion on you and he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be the Messiah, the son of the living God. He wants to take away your sin, but he wants to be a God that is alive and active in your life. A God that is there for you in every turn, in the really good triumphant moments and in the moments when you're trying to figure out how you're going to have the strength to get through another day. Who do you 
say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Am I the son of the living God? He asks you that question, but it's up to us to respond. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. My question that I want to leave you with tonight, today, whatever you want to call it, is are we willing to follow? Because I'd be a liar if I stood up on this stage and said, hey, if you believe in Jesus, all your problems go away, because they don't. But the difference is when you invite Jesus into your life, when he is the Lord of your life, you still walk through the same valleys. You still triumph over the big mountaintops. But the difference is you now have a God who is pushing behind you and saying, I got you. I'm with you. You have a God before you who is pulling you forward. You have a God who's sitting with you, wiping your tears when you're walking through the toughest parts of life. That's the difference. I can tell you from experience, he is Elijah. He can move mountains and he can do miracles. He is like Jeremiah. He can deliver a message to us. He's like John the Baptist in terms of he can give us a fresh start, clean us up and let us keep going. But the difference is that he's more than all of that. That's what he can do. But who he is, is a God who has compassion on you and on me. It's not about perfection. It's about opening the door to the God who's knocking. Revelation chapter 3 says this, and I want to end with this. The last book of the Bible, the very end, this is how it describes who Jesus is. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. See, Jesus would see the need and respond and walk towards the person who needed him but it was up to that person that they would let him. It was up to that person that they would open the door. And that same invitation is extending to all of you today, every day. Will you let him in? Will you open the door to your heart, to your mind? Will you trust him even when things are bleak? Will you trust him even when you don't see why he's doing what he's doing? Will you trust him? It can be hard, it can be difficult, but when you give him your best, he moves mountains. And you experience God in a whole new way. So I'm a practice guy. I like to know what does that actually look like, right? Because it's one thing to have him be the Lord of your life. Trust him with your life after death. When you say, Jesus, would you come into my heart? We can know that at the end of our life, we're going to be with him in heaven. But that's the starting line. He wants to be with you now. He wants to walk through life with you now. So do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your time and your devotion? Do you trust him enough to give him time before you go to bed? When you wake up in the morning, to spend some time opening that Bible and getting into it. Do you trust him enough with your time to say, I, I got to pray for what I'm going through instead of stressing, instead of running to mayoclinic.org because I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with my kid. I'm going to pray. Do we trust him with our time and our devotion to say, you know what? God's been just knocking on the door that I need to get into a small group. I need to get into a Bible study and I've been putting it off and giving excuses. Do you trust him to say yes? 
to those types of things. The reason we're calling this a kickoff is because I want to see people come alive in Christ. If you've been with us this summer, you're probably sick of me saying that because that's what I've been saying every single Sunday, but we're here now. And when I say a come alive in Christ, maybe that means to you, I need to make my life right with him. I need to get it a fresh start and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry for how I've messed up. Would you come back into my life? Maybe that's what coming alive to you means. But Bethany talked about, we have like six new small groups starting from all different topics, all different ideas. Get together with people, people of the same mind and get to know new people and grow with God together. Because it's special when you have people who are committed to the same goal, doing the same thing together. There's something called the growth track. If you see that on your connector, what the heck is the growth track? It's a four-step process we're starting in October. It's basically like four miniature things where we just get together and talk practically. How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow into who we are? Maybe for you, that's your next step. But I personally said, you know what, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You do what you want. Riley is doing the same thing. He's going, I'm good here. I like where I'm at, but God's calling me to something bigger, something new. And when you do that, God begins to do some really cool stuff in your life. So in a second, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your family. I'm going to pray for everyone who's in this room, online, and everything else. But something else I want to pray for today that I'm going to leave just a moment of silence for is this 9-11. It's a tough day for our country, but they will remember forever. And I believe that God was with the families and the firefighters and all those of 9-11 in the same way he's with all of us now because he's compassionate. He sees sympathetic pity. He wants to be near to us. So in just a second, if you would feel comfortable, if you could close your eyes, bow your head, I'm going to give us 10 seconds of silence to honor those who gave their life for 9-11. But then I want to pray for them, their families, and for those in this room. So you join me. Jesus, you see every single thing that every single person in this room is going through. Big, small, medium. You see it. And God, you care about them. God, you care about them so much that you gave your one and only son so that we could experience you in a real, tangible, personal way. So God, today I just pray that for those in this room who have felt far from you, who have felt like they've been too far gone, but they're saying, you know what? I need that Messiah, that God who can take my sins away and give me a fresh start and give me a chance that when I know when I walk from this side of life to the afterlife, I can know that I'm gonna be going to heaven. If that's you in this place, I'm gonna pray in a second. It's as simple as saying, God, forgive me. Would you give me a fresh start? And he does. But for those, God, who have felt you knocking on the door saying, I want to move in your life. I know I'm pushing you. I know I'm pulling you out of your comfort zone. But would you trust me? Would you follow me? Who do you say that I am? I pray for those that, God, they would respond to that. They would step into that. And you would be present and show yourself to them in ways they never have experienced you before. 
I pray, God, that they would sense and know how real and present you are. So God, would you be with us today? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Whatever you want to do, we trust you as the Lord of our life, the Christ. Jesus, we love you. It's in your, near, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.